the Buddha's teachings are so vast and comprehensive. But it's easy to feel overwhelmed on occasion and just wonder how we can do it. What do I do now? All these teachings on uh, calm and investigation and suffering and ending of suffering. very helpful to just have a very long, long view, patient view of little by little gathering in the moments of our lives with uh, qualities of receiving those moments. So that what was uninvestigated, what was habitual, is at least beginning to be received and and illuminated with some qualities of appreciation, noticing how this is and what its effect is. We can't do everything at one time. But what can appear so complex and so uh, overwhelming and too much, uh, we're looking at various skillful means to, to, to give rise to something that is doable. Even the question, how is it now? Might bring us to, well, it feels too much. Where do I start? Well, can we just acknowledge that? Because it feels too much. Have moments of uh, receiving that. Last night, Tanisha introduced the the core teachings, the core principles uh, which uh, lead to the ending of suffering, which the Buddha said, by not, for not understanding these four principles, I, like you, had to wander endlessly through this round of rebirth. But by fully understanding these, these four ennobling truths, I don't have to wander anymore. Sense of arriving, arriving <coughs> home. Tanisha also gave a, a warning to, to just uh, be sensitive to, be aware of how we pick up these teachings these teachings of there is suffering and there's a cause of suffering, there's basic clinging, there's an ending of suffering, a letting go, 
as a path leading out of suffering. Just just warning us to look at the way we pick up these teachings. Just sometimes when we pick up this notion of non-attachment, notion I've got to let go, that somehow desire is, is poison. So we can start clinging to some sort of ideal of uh, what we have to do. And it can lead to uh, uh, misuse, misuse of the teachings. Doesn't mean that the teachings aren't still incredibly valuable and incredibly significant, but it's to encourage us to recognize their tools. And tools can be used well or they can be not used so well. And we all don't start off using tools great. We, we have to learn. Using hammers, we can make dents in the furniture or some bruises on our <coughs> fingers. Using knives to, to cut and trim. Also, we can get uh, damaged or damage others. Tools are just tools, but you know, how do we use the tool? So, just an encouragement to keep uh, reflecting, pausing. The medicine for this. Oh, what if, what if I misuse? What if I misuse these teachings? How will I know? What if I misuse? Just do trust. If we keep uh, from time to time stopping and pondering, how is it now? A misuse is when we uh, compulsively just keep doing the same thing, convincing ourselves, this is right, this is right, this is right. For example, being sure that we're being non-attached, the world brings suffering, just letting go, thinking that that uh, letting go of desire when we might not really have noticed that it's actually aversion. Aversion to seeing, aversion to hearing, aversion to feeling. The question what's what's happening now when there's honesty. We can just be honest not have to convince ourselves that we're some attained this or that being. For honest, we can little by little get the feeling of whether we're moving towards things, moving away from things, shutting down, confused. A very helpful condition is honesty, just honestly acknowledging. It's like this. And a lot of, on these retreat situations, a lot of importance can be built up around the sitting meditation and, and whether we've had this insight or haven't had this insight and whether we feel we can do it or can't do it. And to remember the, the meditation is important, it's significant, but it's a part of, of, a, of a whole web of activity which is called the path. This is just an aspect. An important aspect, yes, but just an aspect. Not just sit. It's also the, the way, the way that we receive life, the way the efforts that we make, the way that we speak, the way that we listen to one another, the way that we interact with the world, 
all this is also an important part of path. First ennobling truth that Tanifra was uh, introducing us to last night, there is the experience of dukkha, that which is not easy to be with. There is encouraging us to more dispassionately acknowledge that experience. whether it's severe pain or whether it's subtle sense of not being able to find any ease. Each of the truths is accompanied by uh, an encouragement to action, an exhortation. This experience of a dukkha is accompanied by the encouragement to turn to it, to open to it. This is looking at the, the knee-jerk reaction to think that the problem of dukkha is just that it's there. Problems just have to be destroyed, gotten rid of. This is a, a different sort of response uh, from uh, the worldly response, perhaps, of if there's a pain, just get rid of it something troubling us, get rid of it. This is, if something troubling us, let's, let's turn to it so that we can understand it, open to it, rather than endlessly be fleeing. All the truths, they sound like four things, but the Buddha taught that each, any truth that you go into, you end up with all the truths. It's not that they're four absolutely separate things, four aspects of, remember, all these ideas are a part of a whole, a part of a presence, a part of this reality, which is, doesn't really have edges and boundaries in it. We don't have to worry if we deeply go into to the experience of that which is troubling us and we naturally start to see how it's perpetuated, how, how we generate it. What's called this looking at this or feeling or sensing the, this activity that's always involved in pushing, demanding, grasping, rejecting, making assumptions Tanithra is describing as this, this craving, the word the Buddha used is dunha, to hold on and to keep some, some sort of stability or certainty. When we really recognize that, recognize the stress that, that creates, mm-hmm. encouraging us, the Buddha encouraging us to learn to let that be, not to so habitually identify with this, I want and I don't want, to let that be, 
start to get the sense of the fading, the cessation of the stress, of always imagining something has to be changed, something has to be improved, something has to be rejected, never knowing the essence of what is here, opening us up to the third truth of the, of the cessation of the experience of stress, the letting go. And the fourth truth, a path, a path that leads to the ending of suffering that needs to be cultivated, difficult experience that needs to be learned from, open to. Our relationship to this, this continual demand and, and grasping and rejection, relationship with that that needs to be loosened, not so habitually identified with second truth. A letting go, a letting be, which needs to be experienced, third truth. And a path, activity, a, a cultivation of uh, presence, of investigation, that which needs to be developed in our life. Sometimes when the Buddha reduced his teaching, he, he talked about it as, as a releasing of this basic sense of ownership, this sense of separation, isolation, this sense of me that's not really based on truth. It's based on this notion of, of me. Last night, Tanis was talking about how learning to put that in a context. If there's only uh, me and my problems and that which is out there, then to just suddenly let go of it all can be terrifying. Seems like, well, God, then what will I be? There'll be nothing. The Buddha always helped us, the, that which led up to these teachings always helps us to recognize that actually this, this so-called sim- separate sense of me is a way of talking. It's something that we feels like sometimes, but it's not actually the reality. It would help us see a context. Like for example, when um, Dharma assemblies, uh, a mad, distraught woman came with uh, hair was disheveled and was crying and, and sobbing and, and, and desperate to get through the crowd to get to the to the wise one, and she was uh, carrying her uh, dead child. Her name was Kisa Gotami. And uh, everybody thought she was just insane. And uh, I can't remember her, but I think she'd been carrying the child around for some time, maybe a few days. 
desperately wanting the, the Buddha to cure the child, bring the child back. Now, I suppose he could have. Maybe that's how I would have done, but I don't have the skill that the Buddha had. But he could have just said, well, it's first noble truth, suffering, second noble truth, clinging. You're just wanting something there. You've got to let go of that. He could have done that. But one of the wonderful things about encountering a wise or compassionate person is they're able to sense what is needed now. And uh, there's no state to hear the kind of exposition of the Four Noble Truths. She desperately wanted her child to be healed, and so, you know, maybe you could uh, uh, accuse the Buddha of misleading her. He said, yes, I'll, I'll help you. And so she was, uh, that suddenly calmed her down. And he said, uh, yes, but you just need to get me, uh, uh, go to the village and get me from a household a mustard seed. And she thought, oh, that will be easy. But then he said, I want a mustard seed from a house where, where they haven't had any death. And so she had something to do. She had to still moving toward this, in our whole world, this, this child that was so important to bring this beloved one back. She had a mission to, 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 to. And she went to different households and uh, asked for mustard seed. Do you have mustard seed? And everyone has mustard seed. And, uh, but has anyone uh, died here? And uh, as you know, in the, the different households, oh, well, no, there was a, last month our mother or lost a child two years ago or my brother. Or, and uh, the story doesn't take one through all the different contact, but just imagining at some point she was able to, to, to see the, the shadows, the shadows, the loss, the experience in household after household after household, and, and start to suddenly see herself in a context part of a fabric. This wasn't just me, it wasn't just her. Not that there still wasn't grief, but to somehow to, to realize this is what happened in this human realm. She was able to get connected. She, she was able to, through her own moving household to household looking for this mustard seed from a house that didn't have death. She encountered it here, she encountered it there, she encountered it there, encountered it there. Then with that link, she's not the only one that is suffering. A whole mass of suffering. Then when she went back to the Buddha more calm, and she was able then to reflect, and he was able to then encourage her. And she was uh, one of the ones that was able to free her heart from confusion. 
sometimes a, a traditional the Buddha talked about not the ultimate right view the ultimate clear seeing is realizing that everything is changing and with everything is changing trying to find some stability in the changing world just brings frustration so ultimately when we realize that there's a, a lightening of, of grasping and an experience of the peacefulness of not bending as we try to make conditions into what they can never be. That can be the, the kind of ultimate seeing of this nature. But the Buddha would then start, he would start though with more worldly, worldly ways of just acknowledging how this is, which again helps place us in a context, which Tanisha was touching on this last night, which helps offset this distorted notion of me being a separate entity, which it feels like when we're hijacked by our thoughts. Because thought sounds like me, see me, the world, it's a different word from you. It feels like me, and then there's this body. And sometimes we can feel like we're locked in it. A lot of the, the uh, beginning ways of, of learning to reflect on life is helps us to realize that, that, that we're part of a, of a context. Even the, even the breathing helps the attention to the in and the out breath. The Buddha, you know, that wasn't just a haphazard notion. Breathing in from, from where? From, from what seems to be other what's out there actually getting a sense for how that blesses the so-called me there is no me without that which from the outside blesses us vitalizes and we can't breathe in forever we explode and there's a bestowing breathing out getting a feeling that, 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 that an important part of ease and of well-being is, is the fact that we're porous, we have holes, good things. Imagine if we just had to keep everything we ever ate. <laughs> is that which goes in, is that which goes out, it fertilizes the earth. The elements the heat from the sun, the wind, the rain, the air moving through, it's actually just elements. This distorted notion doesn't realize we're part of the elements, we're knitted into the elements, this distorted notion of me in here. The Buddha would encourage us to, how did he put it? As we develop understanding, we 
yes, there's just thoughts, but it's just a way of thinking. Ultimately, the ultimate understanding is not holding to any view or any thought. But there's some conventional thoughts that help us just open up to the true interwoven, interconnected, non-dual, totality. Conventional thoughts just help us start to, to emerge from this locked-in, separate, alienated, confused sense of who we are. And so this, some of this conventional understanding that's helpful to reflect on is the Buddha taught, the view that, that, that offerings are not useless. That there is a result of good and bad actions. That life somehow goes on. Even, even that's something that the Buddha said was helpful. Just to, to, to get the feeling of, of uh, you know, that that father and mother that there is such a thing as father and mother even that reflecting that we're just not out of nowhere we're in this earth as a result of our, our mother and our father coming together which gave us our bones and our DNA code the fact that we're born connected to that. That's a condition that gives rise to this body. That we can make gifts that impact others that others can make gifts that impact us just as with the breath now the memory that comes a similar kind of situation where someone was suffering very much and they couldn't hear the noble, noble truth they just were suffering immensely, very suicidal, hated themselves, hated their own desire nature, yet felt overpowered by their own desire nature, humiliated by the desire nature, intoxicated by it, yet hated it, felt a slave, this person felt a, a, a slave to the desire, sensual desire nature. Finally got to the point where they were just convinced the only thing to do was uh, kill themselves. And uh, they were visiting, visiting the monastery and I, I spent a few years uh, very unwell, spending most of the time in the attic. Uh, lying down. People would bring me food and I had a, a very inflamed condition of, uh, called at that time, they thought it was Crohn's disease and wasn't well. But occasionally I would stand up and look out the window. And uh, one day I, I looked out the window on a damp, uh, drizzly sort of misty, cold uh, English winter day and I saw this guy uh, 
heading out the, the drive with a rope and a loop on it. And so uh, I thought I'd better do something about that. So uh, I wasn't properly dressed, but I uh, just quickly went downstairs to, to follow him, and he had uh, uh, gone into the forest and was uh, trying to hang himself. And uh, when one's in that in a particular state where one's focused on, it's all dark. It's There's nothing, nothing that can be done. And in that particular case, that's what's called Ribbawa Dhanha, the desire just to find peace by ending things, just by ending it, convinced that that's the only answer, end it. In that particular state, it's hard to make contact. Uh, so I tried to talk to him, and he wasn't listening. But because I wasn't uh, dressed, I must have had a very thin robe or something on. Uh, my teeth were chattering. I was uh, freezing. And at some point, he just he just noticed. He noticed my teeth chattering. And he just said, you're cold. That moment in the opened up, noticing the context, something around the state that he was in. You're cold. He had a leather jacket on. He said, here, take my jacket. And he's like, flipped him right out of that state. Huge difference. Not a, I'm sure not a permanent solution. But the sense of this is my world, this is real. What what actually happened? Just noticing a context, noticing that there was one someone who cared, two that even making that gesture of a gift, there was a result of that gift. He, he suddenly his whole world was much bigger, was wider. And in making a gift, there was the, the feeling because I was very grateful. My teeth were chattering, and his leather coat was warm. When looking at these in these uh, subtle teachings, and we start imagining we just have to let go of everything or start holding on some, to some sort of ideas. Remember that the Buddha offered in this path all sorts of skillful ways of touching the moment. And sometimes in our stillness it's, a, it's a, an embracing, a being with, a calming, a letting go. Sometimes when we're really, really overwhelmed what's needed is just to make contact, talk to somebody. Be listened to, make a gesture, make a gift. It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of clinging if there's no sense of anything that, that will catch us. If all we know is just me, 
and, and desperately trying to hold on to and fend off. If that's all we know, then, then of course letting go can seem terrifying. These foundations of the path create a, a net or, or they, they don't so much create, but they open us up to the fact that there is a web. There is that which is worthy of trust. There is that that we can rest into. There is that which can hold us. And as faith and as trust deepen, then it's more possible to relax and to let go. This is what's being talked about in terms of refuge and is learning to deepen our capacity to, to trust in, in that which is worthy of trust. <coughs> so when there is suffering, the experience of suffering, the Buddha is encouraging us to turn to it. He's encouraging us to little by little trust that it's not just the suffering we're turning to. We're learning to rest in the listening to suffering. We're learning to trust and familiarize ourselves with and learn to abide in and learn to recognize another whole dimension, profound, limitless dimension of our being that we haven't noticed, perhaps. That capacity that, that receives, that listens, that spaciousness that is around the suffering, receiving the suffering, responding to the suffering. What's called Kuan Yin, the one who listens at ease. When there is habitual turning away from suffering, then our refuge is, is aversion. Our refuge is hope of finding a solution, hope of finding a solution. This first noble truth is the, it's a bestowing confidence, bestowing courage. No, you have this within you little by little to learn to stay with. And it's not just the staying with the suffering or learning to recognize we have capacity to be aware. I encourage us to today to, to continue finding our way using the walking and the sitting and the times in between the, the eating and the resting and the doing our, our job to help uh, the retreat 
community here. Things go smoothly. Just encouraging us to, to make contact with the moment, make contact with our body, using the way which we find most conducive for stabilizing uh, being here. And then also, uh, from time to time, just noticing, is there, is there stress now? Tired or, or a mood, or aches or pain. And, and just to, if it's not easy to be with, then just to acknowledge, oh, this is not easy to be with. And to get a feeling, a feeling for just what that is that pain, that which is not easy to be with, or that restlessness, or that doubt that says, oh, which I don't know what to do. I'm really not sure what to do. We can feel that way. And then to notice the feeling that comes from that, and then to notice if there's the Buddha called painful feeling, he called that a spear. It's like when we're being penetrated by something that's painful. When we have a pain, it's like a spear. And he talked about notice if we add a second spear, notice if we add another pain on top of the first pain by thinking, oh, it shouldn't be. I should know what to do, and I don't know what to do. I shouldn't have this pain. Get a feeling for that which helps perpetuate the pain. Or intensify, maybe I should say intensify the pain. What's called the, the origin, the origin of increasing stress. The Buddha himself experienced pain. He experienced aging. He experienced dying. Even his full enlightenment didn't get rid of that. But he saw that, why did he have, what was the cause of that? He, he says, we have these pains because we were born. Anybody who's born is going to experience dying. It's going to experience an aging, a breaking, the body not been working, each of us in our own time, and then falling away. So the Buddha also experienced that pain. But he didn't add to the pain. Distress of wishing it was otherwise. And to really get a feeling for in a moment when, when we realize we're, we are adding to the natural feelings of the moment with an additional struggle, a pushing against, a holding to. And to just explore, can I just be with this? There is struggle now and to recognize the moments when there is not, if there's any moments when we're not pushing away, not desperately grasping after. Can we notice the moments when we're not adding to anything, a second spear?
not a permanent position, this letting go. Not saying we never should have desires. Without desires, we don't practice. Without desires, we don't do anything. But as Tanitra was saying last night, it's this habitual, this uninvestigated, compulsive, always having to get something, always having to become or get rid of, that keeps us ever from allowing ourselves to rest in a wider context, the spaciousness of our heart, the openness of our heart. So for just in moments, can we practice moments of when the heart wants this or wants that or doesn't want this or doesn't want that, for moments can we just reflect on letting be? letting go. It's not a permanent position. Moments. Can there be moments of allowing ourselves to rest in the ending of a condition? And if we can't, if if there's the sense of not feeling ease, not feeling stress, can we, rather than getting upset about it, can there be the feeling of, uh, this is suffering. This is uh, deepening our willingness just to hold and be with whatever it is, the confusion or the sense of it being too difficult. And then if it feels like uh, too much, see if we can widen the context, receive a breath, realize there's something which is supporting us. Make a gift of the out-breath, realize there's that which we can bestow. Am I the only one suffering in this room? Am I the only one suffering in this world? When Tanis and I get... uh, overwhelmed, which we do from time to time, quite frequently actually. Africa, you go into the local villages and you just, and you see how excited people are when we, when we uh, got some of the poorest uh, people, just a pair of shoes, how excited they are. See the number of people who don't have uh, even food not that one denies one's suffering, just putting it in a context, putting it in a context. Noticing that sometimes if things are just too much, we just need to make a gift of, may this moment of patience also help bestow patience on other beings who have difficult circumstances. Allow the heart to open up. Steadying the mind again with the being nourished by the in-breath, relaxed on the out-breath. Notice again the changing nature of conditions. And then just reflect. If conditions really are changing so much, how can I possibly expect them to bring me certainty? How can I expect the brightness of this day never to leave? How can I be disappointed when the sun sets? the nature of the day to turn to night, pleasure to turn to pain, doubt to turn to certainty and back, just to keep little by little reflecting, conditions are changing, which then can lead to another moment of allowing, of letting go, softening, 
getting a feeling for there's something that we rest back into a spaciousness a refuge a listening just little by little each of us in our own way and just encouraged to find our way with this uh, with this path um, that's all I can do is to encourage myself and encourage all of us there's no easy fix push this button, push that button, and then it's done. So, may we have a useful day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.